You are listening to Faithless Brewing, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the Spike Road. Each week we design new decks for tournament play. We put our creations to the test and share our findings on the air. What went wrong with Obnixilus the Adversary? Was Ob a casualty of inflated expectations, or is there a new strategy still to be discovered? We dive in today on Faithless Brewing, plus another look at Ginny Fay and testing results with moderation. All of that and more is coming up. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show! Welcome to the Faithless Brewing Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Schriever, also known as Cave Dan Online. I'm joined today all the way from Argentina. You know him as Mord to Light. It's Emmy Sagasti. Hey, OCO. How is it going? Going <laughs> all right here in the not so cold, but actually really cold. And I'm literally hiding in my, hiding in my stove, Argentina. What, you're using your stove to heat your apartment? No, sorry. Not my stove, my... How do you call this small, tiny, the small thing that generates heat? How do you call this? Oh, the space heater? My baby. <laughs> it's my baby. It feels like the plot of a Simpsons episode or something. Like, you need to use your refrigerator to keep the apartment cold. <laughs> use your stove I mean, it's to- really, it's really common here. Like, even the, the, the girl I'm dating just does it all the time. You just turn all the stoves in your, in your like... Yeah, the stoves, and you just keep use that for heating. It's like extremely common in here. You don't leave the door of the oven open, do you? I mean, that doesn't seem safe. No, no. I mean, yeah, we do. Oh. Did, okay. I, did I ever tell you about the time I almost burned myself to death with one of the with a space heater? No, you told me about the time that your cats almost burned the apartment down. No, no, that was the oven one. So when I first moved on my own, it was to an old apartment that was owned by a friend. And she owned this small space heater, which was, like, really small and probably unsafe. And I just went to sleep in a couch one day because I was going to take a nap, and I just left it on. And the cable it was connected to was behind the couch. A few hours pass by, and I wake up to the smell of smoke and burnt. And I turn around to realize the plastic was starting to melt, the cables were this close to touching... And everything was just over. It for some reason had like completely up the tension, and the whole plastic in the wall was melting down, like burning the floor. And the couch was starting to turn on fire, and everything was filled with smoke. So I just woke up, rushed, and like turned out the electricity. And I was like, "What? That's horrifying." I didn't even get scared, you know. It was like so shocking. Like in retrospective, I was like, "Damn, that I was so good today." But at the moment, I was like, "Oh wait, fuck." <laughs> My couch. These space heaters are like killing machines. Yeah, they're, they are. They're really dangerous. They are, they are. I, uh, now I look at this one. Like, I don't even let it on a lot of the time. All right, just turn the oven on. <laughs> All right, you convinced me. That's the safest way to do it. Gas is less dangerous than the space heaters, everybody. I mean, is gas still common during the stoves? Or is everything electric there? I'm going to send you a nice warm blanket. I found a lot of warm blankets. <laughs> But, ah, uh, space heaters. It's like small campfire. That's for me. Well, it is sweltering hot in North Carolina. It is insanely hot, so... I don't envy you. Just hearing you talk about this is making me a little bit... <laughs> starting to sweat. You can see the sweat. Where does sweat start in dance here? Exactly. <laughs> uh, so, today is Monday. We are brewing with, uh, well, it's actually a new card, yeah. That's a card we've talked about before. It's Obnixilus, the Adversary. A card that's been a disappointment so far. I think it's fair to say that. It, I, I mean, I expected it to not be as good as it was, so I'm happy with the amount of play it's seeing. Which is next to zero. Exactly. I think that we have reached the point where Obnixilus is a good card in the niche decks it belongs. Hmm. So when we first talked about it, I mean, this was like the actual first card that we talked about from Nuka Pena. 
there was like that weird week where you couldn't actually play with the decks yet because they wanted the paper release to happen first. So David had drawn up some lists. I think, I mean, you also like brainstormed some lists and Obnick's list was like the it card. It was like 70 or 80 tickets. You couldn't even, you couldn't even rent it for a long time. It was insane. Yeah. And it just went. You should have short sold those if you had a chance. <laughs> that was the mole. And uh, traded into some letter shredders with the, with those sales that you made. So it's affordable now. It's really, really come back down to earth. I think it's still overpriced at like 18 ticks, but still. It has gone considerably down. It's a niche card, exactly as you're saying. So I want to like give it maybe a second chance or at least try to figure out what went wrong. A post-mortem, if you will, on Opnik's list while we're still in New Capenna season. After we do that, we will talk a little bit about Ginny Fey, Jetmere Second. That is our card of the month. We'll highlight some cool lists and concepts from the Faithless Brewing Discord. And if we have time, I'll tell you a little bit about my testing with uh, our card from last week, which was Moderation. Everything in moderation. Before we dive in, quick reminder, if you like what we do here at the podcast and want to support us, the best way to do so is by joining our Patreon, which you can find at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing. You can make a pledge at any tier you like. can be a dollar a show. That'll get you access to our Discord channel. You'll get other perks as well. You'll be able to vote on cards. Come chat with us. Come hang out. we got an awesome community there in the Discord. Always kicking ideas around. And sometimes firing off those sweet 5-0s, as we talked about last time. Exactly. Um, from time to time, we will actually get a nice, beautiful deck going. And sometimes we will just go down a really unmoderated train of thought. Was that a moderation pun, or was that... <laughs> of course that was a moderation pun. I never said it was a good pun. It's like, wait, did he just... No, he couldn't. He couldn't. He wouldn't dare. He wouldn't dare <laughs> pun on my show. I was so taken aback, I had to actually ask you, like, was that... He wouldn't. Mord would never do that. <laughs> His sense of humor is superior to that cheap jokes. So if you... <laughs> If you want to get more as fresh as takes, yeah, come hang out with us in Discord. We'd love to have you there. Other ways that you can support us, uh, we've got a new YouTube channel. So check that out and let us know what you think. I mean, we're always iterating with the format there, hoping to get more gameplay up soon. Exactly. Trying to get you to see what we're actually playing and then showing you with the faithless gun. So with that said, let's talk about the killer, the assassin of the Maestro's leader. Of Nixilis adversary. Is that what happened? He killed Lord Xander and took his place? If you look at that card, like the literal art of that of Nixilis, in the floor is Lord Xander's body. Oh, Xander. What happened? <laughs> like, Nixilis organized a coup where he got his demons to attack all the heads at the same time, and he personally went to the Maestro's one, trying to take over the Halo production. So he's a bad guy. He's always a bad guy. He's one black red. Legendary Planeswalker Nixilis, three loyalty. He has casualty X. Casualty means that when you cast the spell, you have the option to sacrifice a creature with the requisite power. And then when you do, you copy the spell and you, in this case, will get another copy of Nixilis. The copy will not be legendary. That's a special ability written onto the card. And because it's casualty X, you can choose any creature you want Whatever the power of that creature is will determine the starting loyalty of your bonus Obnixilis token. Okay, so it can be zero. That's what you're saying. It can. If you have a zero power creature, you are allowed to sacrifice it to casualty. You will get a zero loyalty Obnixilis, which <laughs> may or may not help you. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, that's not nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you, you can. That's the important part. Yes, you can. So, regarding its abilities, it's plus one, its opponent loses two life and they discard a card. If you control a demon or devil, you gain two life. Minus two, you create a 1-1 one, one red devil token with, when it dies, it pings for one. So, the devil demon or the common token devil that you will always see. And the minus seven, which is, I think, the card that every, the ability that everybody was hyped about and then realized it wasn't as good as they thought. Target player draws seven and loses seven life. Do you think that's the ability that has let people down? I think 50% of the people that were overhyping the card were just dreaming of the scenario where they get to sacrifice a Tarmogoyf and just minus 7 someone. Interesting. So I was thinking, like, 
wow, for three mana, I can get two Planeswalkers in play and just relentlessly plus on everybody. And I felt like that was what let people down. Like, Because the plus one, although it has a lot of text, it doesn't actually do anything. Yeah. No, I think what happened was eventually people realized what I think was my, what I think I was defending from the start, which is, at least in modern, I'm always going to talk mostly in modern, is if you have a creature alive, you're winning. Generally, if you have a creature alive on turn three, you're winning or you're doing what you want. Are you willing to sacrifice that creature when you're ahead? Because if, if I have a Tarmogoyf in play and I play a Liliana, I'm still going to be ahead. So the dream of sacrificing a creature with like really high power yeah. in order to get a high loyalty Obnixilis, that has not been worth it. Exactly. Like that's taking a step backwards. And the same happened when they were like, okay, turn one Ragavan, turn two Nisilis, and they are like, wait, your Ragavan is uncontested. Do you really want to sacrifice an uncontested Ragavan? Are you sure about this? I did wonder, like, what if I just ramp the normal way, but you look at what creatures can do that, and it's like, actually, zero one mana dorks don't work. <laughs> they're, all one, they're all zero ones for some reason. Like, not even one ones. Like, you would have to play really bad mana dorks. Like, No Birds of Paradise, Ignoble Hierarch, Noble Hierarch, which are the three be- better ones, are unplayable with this. And that's where it gets a lot, a lot tougher. So you're looking at, basically, Arbor Elf is your only way to do this. As your only playable one, yeah. I had, like, briefly talked myself into Elves of Deep Shadow as, like, another way to <laughs> get it. I mean... I was desperate. It was really dire. That could work better than a lot of stuff that people have been testing. But that's exactly what happened with Omnixilis, right? Like, sacrificing a creature is a lot bigger of a cost than people assume. And the problem with Omnixilis is, yeah, two, three mana Swookers is amazing. But if you just play Omnixilis on its own, it's worth one and a half mana. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The other thing that I realized, I think other people came to this conclusion as well, it's like, why is it so important to me to ramp into Omnixilis? Well, it's because I understand that if I'm behind on board, Obixilis sucks. So it's really important to me to get him down a turn early. And it's just not going to happen. If you put four obs in your deck, you're going to draw them when the board is at parity or when you're behind. And he doesn't do anything. He literally does nothing in these situ- situations. He invites you to sacrifice what little creatures you have to make your opponent lose life once and then your Obixilis get attacked. Or ignored, which is even more insulting. So this plus one like does not impact the board. You make the opponent lose two life if they want to. If they don't want to, they can discard a card, and sometimes that actually helps the opponent, like if they're on a Grease Fang deck or a Phoenix deck or something. They're just going to help them. I was trying to like figure out what other people had learned about this card, so I was going through like different comments and different discussions on like Reddit and different websites, and someone was like, I had to take this out of my shadow deck because I kept on you know gaining life off the plus one and <laughs> screwing up my death shadows. <laughs> Man, you just can't do anything right with Obnixilis. I don't know what it is. Uh, I think... Uh, I don't know if we have ever seen a, like, a fair Obnixilis build yet. Like, just a control deck trying to use Obnixilis like, as a finisher. So that, I think, is worth exploring. It's worth trying once. I feel like the answer is Dwarven Mine. Like, that's got to be the answer, because where else am I going to get a low-cost creature that I don't care about? Creativity had a small resurgence, and one of the versions, which I think was the worst, was playing um, Obnixilis. How many Obnixilis were they playing? I didn't find that in the 5-0s. Two or three. Was this like actually a winning deck, or was it just like a theoretical deck? Uh, it was made by the Meme Heal of Magic at um, Who is the Meme Heal? The Shoker Heal. I don't know. Who is the Meme Heal of Magic? Ah, uh, who is he? I don't remember the name. The guy that made a video talking about like an hour. Uh, yeah, that, the one that was discussing that Pablo Vito Rosa sideboard was from. What's the name of this guy? Oh, the Joker. Yes! Zan Syed. Yes! <laughs> How can we forget the Joker? He's the Joker to your Justice League. And he literally was like, this is the best deck in the format, everybody. Trust me, this is insane. And proceeds to never get a good result with it. Which was like a four-color treachery. It was a four-color creativity that for some reason the payoff was Agent of Treachery. What format was this? I feel like Zan Syed mostly plays Arena these days. And it's a modern deck that he said was the best deck in modern. And 
literally quoting, the deck feels unfair and I can't imagine playing anything else until something gets banned. Look at that clicker value. Look at that meme. The meme machine. <laughs> and it literally features two bitter blossoms and two omnixities in the sideboard. Oh, you're serious? It was modern. I thought you were... No, no, no. I wish. Okay. <laughs> like, Mord has got to be mistaken here. There's no way he's talking about a modern deck. No, no. The main deck is four agents of treachery, three bone shards, lightning axe, spellbeard, thoughtsies, prismatic command, expressive iteration, persist, red and six, favorable of the mirror breaker, indomitable creativity. Well, that's just Zan being Zan. Oh, of course. <laughs> All right, so what else have people learned about Obnixilis? Here, here are some of the quotes that I found. <laughs> just random quotes from Strangers in the Wild. Quote, I will admit that Obnixilis is the weakest card in the deck. End quote. <laughs> I have barely seen anyone play him. All the Ragdos guy in my group strike him and sucked him off. Yes. <laughs> um, he is not particularly strong in any non-control meta. But I love him. Out of the board against control. These are real testing results. I mean, I I believe these people. I, I don't, I'm not saying, I'm not quitting them because they're wrong. I'm just like, man, hopes have been dashed so much. I mean, I remember how excited David and I were about this card during previous season. I reached the conclusion that Omnixilis is great against any deck that doesn't contest the board. Which means it's great against burn, control, and combo. Sadly, most decks contest the board as their method of winning. And Omnixilis does the opposite of that. If the board is being contested, as we say, that means they're playing creatures, you're trying to establish dominance, the minus two becomes the important ability. And one player who was playing Omnixilis in a, in a sack shell said that, yeah, the minus two was by far their most important ability because it just represents more damage than the plus one does. Yeah. Getting the devil token, which then synergizes with things like Mayhem Devil, Witches Oven, etc., uh, it's just like gonna do more than plussing and hoping that that little Punisher train to or discard is gonna swing the game. So the thing with Obnixilis is that it requires you to play a deck that's not fighting the board because you need to have control of the board in order to play it, but you also need creatures in order to sacrifice. So you need to control the board and to have creatures, which is contradicting nature in itself. Well, you need to be a sacrifice-based control deck. And when you put it that way, there's only like one archetype that has ever successfully done that. It's what we call like Rakdos Sacrifice. Part of the reason that like I wanted to look at Ob now was that Rakdos Sacrifice, against all odds, has made a comeback. <coughs> Maybe like just for one weekend, but you know, Doomwake and some other popular streamers were Giving it a shot. Picking the deck up and saying, oh, actually, it's like sort of good again. They did well in the Saturday challenge, and then even more players picked it up on the Sunday challenge. It was actually the most played archetype in the Sunday Pioneer challenge last week. Five copies in the top eight. That's insane. Shocking to me. So when I say Rakdos Sacrifice, what does that actually mean in the in the age of Obnixilis? This is a deck that has at various times included cards like Oni Cult Anvil, Experimental Synthesizer has been in and out of the lists, depending on who was playing it. They usually have Blood Tithe Harvesters. That card has established itself as one of the most important creatures in Pioneer. Yeah. The sacrifice core that's in these versions is Cauldron Familiar Witches Oven, the Cat Oven combo. Four Deadly Disputes, two Village Rites, three Fatal Push, four Mayhem Devils. That's kind of your power card to control the board and close things out. The new tech. Well, you have Unlucky Witness, four copies of this. This is like the creature version of Experimental Synthesizer. Single red, 1-1 one, one human citizen. When Unlucky Witness dies, exile your top two cards. Until your next end step, you can play one of those cards. So it gives you a long time, unlike Experimental Synthesizer, you get a long time to use the card off Unlucky Witness. But you only get one. It's like a one for one. Exactly. But if you're using that to fuel your village rights, your daily dispute... Um, that's a fair trade. Yeah. And the card that was not in previous versions is Claim the Firstborn. Four copies of Claim the Firstborn in all of these lists. And I feel like this is the key card. Like, this is such a swingy, swingy effect, right? Claim the Firstborn for just one mana can act of treason a small creature, which you can then sacrifice to any one of your sacrifice effects, whether that's Witch's Oven, whether that's Deadly Dispute, or whether that's Obmixilis' Casualty Ability. 
So if Claim the Firstborn is good, I feel like this deck can be extremely powerful. Yeah, claiming to Omnixilis is just devastating, right? Like, all of a sudden, the nature of needing to play to the board gets completely inverted. You're taking control of your opponent's creature and using it. Not only you can pressure them with it, but then also just use Omnixilis as a removal spell that then pressures their hand. So this is a, the version you're likely to run into if you're playing in the Pioneer Leagues right now. And it is playing three copies of Omnixilis. It's on plan. It's beating out other effects like... Only called Anvil, for example. So it's doing something right. And I mean, I, I feel like this is a board control based deck. At least it's very hard for creature decks to attack through this. Ob is likely to survive, and you will win with chip damage, whether through Mayhem Devils, Cat Oven, or Ob. Do you happen to have an idea of how many unlicensed cards is playing on the side? <laughs> I can't let go of this gag because it's true. It's playing two unlicensed cards on the side. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's, we already said it was a Pioneer deck. It has two unlicensed hearse. We've, <laughs> we've established this. It's a running gag that's destroying me because it's true. Well, you didn't mention that modern deck that had four in the main deck. Oh, yeah, the Red Eldrassi. There has to be an exception. The exception that proves the rule. And they were pairing it with Eternal Scourge. I mean, that's the combo. Oh, that's the dream. The dream, making your curse smaller. Okay, so Rakdos, Sacrifice, and Pioneer is like a pretty decent deck right now. Can you do this in Modern? A couple people have tried it. The problem with Modern, before we go ahead, is the bug in Greater Gargordon really affects this deck. We have seen a lot of people try to test with Greater Gargordon because it works well with the Sacrifice part and also a great creature to Sacrifice to Nixilis as a finisher, right? Hit you for 7, play Nixilis minus 7. The problem is Gargordon doesn't get of suspend if you use its ability. It's been there for years, it feels like. Yeah, it's been at least a year. So you can still get Gargadon if you let the last counter come off during your upkeep naturally, but if you activate the ability to remove the last counter, you just don't get your Gargadon. Yeah, you cannot get your Gargadon an instant speed on your opponent's attack step, for example, which is relevant a lot for the time as an instant speed blocker. Or just get it in response to a wrath effect, right? Like remove almost all counters. So we do have A5-0 from the player Zulatin. This is from mid-May. They were playing two Gargadons, despite the bug. I think it's still like just important to have access to yeah. this sacrifice outlet. Um, because this is an artifact-based package. So the Pioneer one, we were talking about Unlucky Witness and Village Rights type effects. This one has a lot more artifacts, so we're in modern again. So we have Mistress Bauble, we have four Experimental Synth, four Witches Oven, four Oni Cult Anvil. For Galvanic Blast. The creature package, Cauldron Familiars, Ragavans, four Ravenous Squirrels, three Mayhem Devils, two Croxas, the two Gargadons, of course, and three Obnixilis, the adversary. Three Obnixilis. Do you feel like this is a faithful interpretation of the Pioneer shell? Is it trying to win the same way, or is this doing something different? I think this plays off a bit of a more comboish way in the way that you're not winning via creature combat with this. Mm. Like, you're only, you only get two creatures that are able of attacking, and that's like Ragavan and a big squirrel in the late game, right? Your plan is clearly not combat. It's Onicold plus Mayhem Devil plus Omnixilis plus plus. Well, you have Ravenous Squirrel. I mean, what is that there for if not to attack and block? No, it's a way to pressure your opponent, of course. A way to force a removal. But I think most games are getting win by accumulative points of... By, then by a thousand blades. By a thousand cuts. It's like, ping you for one with the Onicold, get back my, my cat, ping you for one, blast you for four, sacrifice my synthesizer, ping you for one, you fetch shock, you're already down to ten. Okay, so do you believe in Opnixless? for a deck like this, or is it one of the worst cards? Uh, I think you need to test it. I do like the synergy with Peter Gargoron in that it's like a really fast finisher, right? Yeah, well, you can also just attack with your 9-power creature. No, I mean, <laughs> even if your is like at full life, attacking with your 9-power creature plus 7 from the Nixilis is going to kill practically anyone. Oh, true. And you still have a 2-power Nixilis left over. Exactly. <laughs> Somehow. Somehow. <laughs> okay. Well, what about this next modern build here? So this one, also from mid-May, from Sanso JF. Instead of playing the artifact package, so they are relying more on creatures, and therefore they're interested in goblin bombardment. So instead of saying 
okay, greater Gargadon to sacrifice my experimental synths and feed the Onicult anvils, saying, forget about all that, I'm just going to play creatures that I can feed to Goblin Bombardment, which pairs with Mayhem Devil to just devastate the battlefield. These have the battlefield completely on lockdown when you have a Mayhem Devil and a Goblin Bombardment in play. Yeah, I have seen a lot of game shafts being won by Mayhem Devil plus a Fetchland plus, like, Double Bloodgast. Like, the game shafts, it's completely off the handle once you start sacrificing Bloodgast again and again. Like, play my land, get back Bloodgast, sacrifice, ping for four, Fetch, get four extra damage, and just get complete a whole of the game. So this deck is not playing Ravenous Squirrel, and it's not playing Cat Oven either. Instead, it's playing four Unlucky Witness, four Bloodgast, very powerful with the Fetchlands, a little heavier on threes, four copies of Seasoned Pyromancer, four Mayhem Devils, four Obmixilis. They even found room for Thought Season on Earth, which is a little bit surprising to me. I think Unearth is extremely important in this field as a way to tempo out a lot of games. Just unearthing a Seasoned Pyromancer is one of the best feelings in modern. It's true, and if you just like have a Seasoned Pyromancer in play, you can just feed it to something, sacrifice it to Bombardment if you have to. Exactly, and then Unearth it again. The full playset of full Mediterranean on the sideboard. Gotta love that. I mean, it's a card that sacrifices, has sacrificed inertia alongside the fact you can just get it back. Alright, so those are modern and pioneer versions of Obmixless in sacrifice decks, like dedicated yeah. sacrifice decks. Chip damage, small creatures, fodder, etc. What about the other plans for Ob? Right, like one of the plans that I think we've mostly given up on is getting one high power threat in play and then having casualty seven. Well, we have that in Pioneer with the register build by Strangle Dangles. Strangle Dangles. Strangle Dangles. <laughs> Which features four Blacks of Champion, four Knight of the Evil Legion, two Tenacious Thunderdog, four Bone Crusher Cheyenne, four Rodding Register, and four Omnixilis. So going all in on that. I do not understand this deck. It looks like mono-black aggro, right? Like, where else do you find Bloodsoaks Champion and Knight of the Ebon Legion? But then you look down, and there's also four Kumano faces Kakazans. The Kumano destroys me. The Kumano destroys my psyche. I can't justify it. I can't argue for it. I just... You know when you just look at a card and are like, defeated mentally? Also, two analysis cards on the sideboard. And you're like, <laughs> yes. why does it play four Kumano? Well, it just gives you a lot for one mana. I mean, if I want to like get on the board every game with a one-drop, these are ostensibly the best one-drops you can find in black and red colors. No one has tried Kumano in Modern, which is slightly a good idea. You think so? I mean, it's, I think it's a good idea not trying it, but I also know I'm an idiot. So... For value or just for like a specific synergy? Value. Like here, I think it's just like, okay, this is worth more than most one-drops. Yeah. I'm wondering in what scenario in modern is this worth more than most one drops. Here's another question I had. So let's say that my opponent knew that I was going to try to cast Obmixilis on turn three. So this deck from Strangled Dingus is playing four Obmixilis. What if they like kill my first two plays, right? Like they shock my first two creatures and then I have no way to casualty on turn three. Like, is that why Kumano is here? Because Kumano doesn't become a creature until turn three? Oh, because it's a... Okay. So you can go stuff like turn 1, Kumano, turn 2, Tenacious Underdog as a 4-3, force your opponent to remove that, into you still get your turn 3 of Nixilis. Unless they have... When does Kumano flip? No, they have no priority, right? I believe it flips at the beginning of your main phase. It doesn't give priority. You cannot stop your opponent from playing Omnixilis with the Kumano down. That's cool. That's extremely niche. I don't know if that's actually ever come up. But the Strangle Dingles did 5-0 twice with this, so they must be on something. That's actually a really interesting synergy as a way to make sure you have your creature on three. I haven't considered that, and I really like that. Because it solves one of the main weaknesses we have discussed. So we did a week on Regisaur, like, way back when, when it first came out. I feel like for the most part it did not perform well in aggro decks like this. On the other hand, this is a very low-curve deck, right? So Regisaur... If your hand is empty, there's no drawback. Yeah, this empties your hand incredibly fast, right? Like your curve topper is of Nixilis and Register. Maybe this is just catching people by surprise, right? Like they're bringing in all their cheap spot removal, expecting to fend off Knight of the Ebon Legions, and then all of a sudden there's a 7 6. And all of a sudden, bam. Or all of a sudden, two Obnixiluses, one of them has 7 loyalty. This, okay, I, 
This is an interesting one. Also, the fact it plays three Hive of the Eye Tyrant, three Den of the Back Bear. <laughs> Up to six Manlands. <laughs> one Sokensan and one Tagenuma means you have eight Utility Lands plus an Agadims. That's a lot. So, the modern equivalent of this deck, if I can posit an analogy, is this list from the player Dragon Fodder, which did not 5-0, but it went 3-2 and in one of the 20th anniversary qualifiers. So what they were doing was they were trying to use Lightning Skelemental. Mord is burying his face in his hands. <laughs> he does not like Lightning Skelemental, apparently. No? Not a fan of the Skelemental? Are you not a fan of Goldhound? I mean, what, what is it? There's something you don't like here. Everything. It has a fucking Elders. What the... Look at the side door. At least it has three licensures. <laughs> but... Path of Peril is an unplayable card. Why does it have an Elder spell? So Lightning Skelemental... 6-1 Trample Haste for 3. And then it's because it's an elemental, it combos with Thunderkin Awakener. It also works with Unearth. So there was like a package you could play in Rakdos Colors. Where you just attack with your elemental or discard it to anything, or you just made it with Stitcher Supplier, and then you get your 2-mana Thunderkin Awakener attack, reanimate your Skelemental and get a 6-1 attacker every single attack step. So until you remove the Awakener, you keep attacking for 6 and making them discard 2. Alongside it, because you know it's going to get sacrificed, you play stuff like Pillage Rides or Unearth to get it back efficiently. So the dream with this deck, like the dream dream, like dreamy dreamy scenario, like absolute dreamy, is you go turn 1 Stitcher Supplier and mill a Lightning Skelemental into turn 2 Thunder King Awakener. Not only it survives, but you also connect for 6. And on turn 3, not only it survives again, you get to attack again, and then you get to play Omnixilis. Sacrificing the Skelemental that you just reanimated again. Just like we drew it up in practice. I mean, that's beautiful. Just like we drew it up. Just like, just like in our simulation, boys. Just like in the simulations. The problem is, we're playing Modern, the format where Ragavan cannot connect. So if people are prepared for a 1-drop with Toughness 1, they are prepared for your 3-drop with Toughness 1. Well, I feel like this deck understands that because it's playing so many ways to bring the Skelemental back from the dead. It's not going to survive the first time, but maybe the second time, <laughs> or the third time. Maybe the fourth! Also, the two Spite Bellows just hurt my psyche. I do not understand why Spite Bellows is here. It's here because of Thunderkin Awakener. Okay, but there, there's no way to, like, feed Spite Bellows to Obnixilis. Actually, you could, if you had Thunderkin Awakener. You Thunderkin could. Awakener. It's like, everything is Thunderkin Awakener in this deck. Well, Thunderkin Awakener gives you until your end step to make use of the elemental. I love how it's playing one Flame Kid Harbinger as a way to tutor those pieces. Because one is clearly enough. Three gold hounds. <laughs> this is here to stop Ragavans. It's got first strike and menace. I don't know why you wouldn't just play Wild Canter. I'm not. I don't know why you don't play Bolt like a reasonable human being, but that's. A... No, there's a one of burning inquiry in here. Why? One burning inquiry, two claim the firstborn, two fatal push, <laughs> three lightning bolts. That burning inquiry hurts my soul. So, I feel like there's a way to improve this deck, but if it were built a little bit cleaner, do you feel like Obnixilis, like contributes meaningfully to the strategy? I mean, it's a good way to make use of your creatures if you don't get to attack with them, which is going to happen a good number of times. Like, your opponent is going to control the board. Like, this deck cannot beat Atalia. Like, I don't think any creature can connect through Atalia. Croxa can. Everything else dies to Atalia. Like, a 2-1 first strike is enough to control your whole board. So, having a way to go through that seems at least important. Alright, so other Obmixilis decks that we've seen. I mean, we have seen people try it in like the red-green Trismogrify list, although it turns out that's just needlessly complicating a perfectly fine Gruel deck. So, yeah. even though that did 5-0 once, it's probably not worth splashing there. So I don't recommend splashing black for Ob, certainly not for Obnixilis, in your red-green transmogrify titan list. Yeah, especially if it's going to be your only black card. Oh, there's a finish 3 is an elemental that you can play Kahira. That's nice. 
And the last obvious list deck that we, I think we talked about this before when it 5 would was actually a Waste Knot deck in Pioneer, where in order to play a Waste Knot, you have to play a lot of Ravenous Rat effects. That is Elder Fane Disciple, Acquisitions Expert, and Croxa. Supporting four Waste Knots, I think, you know, the, the, the hope is that your opponent will play a Letter Shredder, and then you can force them to connive to trigger Waste Knot. But when they are not playing Letter Shredder, you have to make them discard yourself. And that means that a card like Obnixilis, the Adversary, the plus one, in theory, threatens to make them discard. Although in practice, I mean, does that actually happen? They can just lose two life. They don't have to give you the card. Yeah, you do have Liliana Wigglebrede to at least make them discard. And Angraf also makes them discard. So it's clever deck building here. This is from OnlyLands.com. They have fodder, right? They have the Elder Fang and the Acquisitions Expert for the Obnixilis. They could, in theory, even escape a Croxa if they wanted to. If you really, really want to get Casualty 6 on your Ob, you could try that. If you want to go deep. Yeah, it goes really heavy on the discard, and that I do like because it forces your opponent into the constantly paying 2 life if they don't have a hand. Alright, so where does that leave us? I mean, we've seen what people have done with it. None of these really convinced me, except for like the, the core Racto Sacrifice deck. So what if the key to this is like the strength of Claim the Firstborn, which I think might be just essential, right? Mm. Claim the Firstborn might be like the lean speed in making this text work with Omnixilis. Which I don't think is that off. Also, the latest version to 5.0 also is featuring a full playset of Voltar and Epicure to make sure it has enough stuff to sacrifice in curve. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, we do like the Epicure. The Red Travel Inspector. <laughs> so for me, I feel like the unexplored space is that control build that, that you were alluding to. I mean, if you can just ensure that the battlefield is empty, one way to do that is by just filling your deck with removal. Then you can have two Obnixilises, uncontested. Plus one in every turn to your heart's content. But like, how do you build that deck and still have fodder to feed to the Obnixilis? How do you make Obnixilis not be an embarrassment every time you draw it and you don't have the board under control yet? So what about a not-so-bad version of the Ragdos discard Waste Not deck? Where you play efficient fodder and a lot of removal spells because your fodder is attacking their hand. I mean, do you feel like there are better options than what's in this uh, OnlyLands.com version? I'm sure there are better versions than Waste Not and Angra. Oh, they're playing Unlicensed Hearse on the sideboard. And they're playing three. They're playing the right number, <laughs> which is not two. <laughs> I don't care if it's zero, one, three, or four. It's not two. I also just like Liliana Waker of the Dead. It's an underrated Liliana for sure. Like, once it's in play, you're like, wow, wow, that's actually just straight-up card advantage. Yeah, that's getting out of handle fast. Direction that I want to try is I'm still intrigued by the Crawl Harpooner. We talked about this last week. The Kurusu decklists are playing one as well. The Manifar Pod are starting to play that exact card. It's excellent against both Spirits and Ledger Shredder. Spirits had a good weekend. Ledger Shredder's everywhere. But... What if we also are interested in like a really high-powered, just for one turn, right? A really high-powered Crawl Harpooner. Right? You could try to give it haste, or you could try to feed it to something, right? Like, what if you just cast it, decline to fight, but you still get, you know, plus four, plus four, or plus three, plus four, or whatever. Yeah. And then you just cast up. <laughs> Casualty six. Okay. That's interesting. Basically, I want an excuse to play a four Harpooners main deck. You want to play four Harpooners and hope you face a lot of spirits and mono blue. Exactly. But when I don't face that, I need the Harpooner to, like, still do something. Yeah, yeah. I want it not to be just a miracle. I want it to actually be good when I'm not facing the miracle deck. So my hope is that Ob can be that thing that makes the Harpooner, like, worth it. Hmm. It's either that or Invigorating Hot Springs. <laughs> To give it haste. <laughs> Just go all in on the plan. I want that plus X plus O to be valuable. Exactly, exactly. Is there anything else you can sacrifice it to that could be interesting based on power? That's not like fling? 
Well, there's that card, deadly something or other, that makes one ones, makes pest tokens. Oh yeah, that's what bad. is that called? I don't know, but that's bad. It's from Strixhaven. Black green instance, set creature. You get pests equal to its power. Ten the pests. Ten the pests. That's it. Yes. Oh, that's bad. I was thinking of deadly brew. That's the card I was thinking of. It's not deadly brew. It's ten the pests. Ten the pests, and then you just play a Blex next turn. <laughs> you just play a Blex, the vexing pest, and win with that. Uh, you could feed your crawl harpooner to a life's legacy if you want. <laughs> if you want to go full South Park. We're just going down. We're just going downwards. Exactly. But Dan, when Black Specsing Pest dies, you gain for life. For life, Dan. I could not tell you what Plex does. It's like a lord for pests, right? And bats, insects, next and spiders. And then there's also an entirely different card on the back: the search for Plex. <laughs> and I don't remember what the backside does. It's like a black sorcery. Yeah, let's. Let's not read that. Tis a silly card. <laughs> <laughs> so, there might be another deck with Ob. I would love to take it in the direction, maybe that's something I want to try, of a more controlling version, trying to exploit the self-sacrifice effect on your opponent's creatures with, like, claim the first board and such, which I think is the best idea you can go for. You just have to make claim the firstborn do something even when you're not in those I matchups. think that's the biggest issue. That could be as simple as just like having looting effects. Yeah. Control deck with Fable of the Mirror Breaker or whatever. Fable of the Mirror Breaker just popping up everywhere. Exactly. Okay, well, this will be my task for the week. I'll, I'll try to come up with something. <laughs> it will probably have more Crawl Harpooners than Odd list, but maybe it'll be four of each. It'll have more Harpooners than it should. Yeah, or it might be like Grixis Control, you know, four Dwarven Mines, some little chats to like draw two off the Dwarven Mine tokens. I don't know. I feel like there's like a, something there with Casualty that doesn't require a creature deck per se. Hmm. Maybe there is. We just need to find a control deck that, needs, that has creatures. And that's really hard. Precisely. All right, well, let's forget about Ob. Shift gears for a second. Tell me a little bit about Ginny Faye, Mord. So Ginny Faye, the beautiful winner that we have seen a lot of Bruce from the guys in the Discord and just going off because who doesn't love making cats and dogs? We are easily persuade humans and cats and dogs just makes us go brrr. <laughs> so I talked a couple of weeks ago about my first attempts in modern to play this. I played it in like a Naya kitchen deck. I played it in the Galazeth Bring to Light list that I mentioned that's on our YouTube channel. People in our Discord have been running with this car a little bit. I've got some interesting ideas. I just want to like summarize some of the things that are being talked about and see if uh, there's any paths forward here. So first up, we have a list from Miss Cameron, who actually writes some sweet articles for a store called Owl Central Games. Uh, you should definitely check out her stuff. Um, Miss Cameron is proposing to combine some of the things that I like best with Ginny, which is like the Gilded Goose into Ginny combo, but also pair it with two drops. One is Magda, Brazen Outlaw. Two, Amara Soul of the Accord, and three is Gala Greeters. These all work in different ways with Ginny Fey. Magda and Amara, you obviously want to like tap them as often as possible, and there's four Jasper Sentinels here to facilitate with that. You could also play Springleaf Drum if you wanted to, although Miss Cameron does not have those uh, in this build. Time to unban the Looter Scooter. Oh, if only. I mean, wouldn't that be so sweet? Just give us the scooter. Well, I guess you could crew unlicensed hearse if you really need something to crew. <laughs> Um, Gala Greeters works differently, right? You just cast this, cast Ginny, immediately get a trigger, choose to make a treasure. You can get a cat or a dog that triggers the Gala Greeters again. All three of these two drops, Gala Greeters, Amara, Magda, work fantastically with the Ginny Fee strategy. So there's four Ginny Fey on three mana, three Adeline Resplendent Cathar, three Nissa Voice of Zendikar. These are both token makers. Uh, Nissa, I think, is especially powerful here. I do love some other line. I do fear the mana base slightly in here. Green, green, white, green, red, double white, double green. 
Yeah, you're asking like a fair bit from the mana. You do have the Jasper Sentinel, which makes any colors. Same with Magda. Magda makes any color. Same with Goose. And Greeters can make treasures, although they are slow. Okay, maybe there's enough fixing with the treasures and such. I do love any deck that plays Nisawaks of Sendikar. There's two Mox Ambers here, and Mox Amber actually taps for three different colors off Ginny Faye, which is kind of cute. <laughs> That's nice. It just taps for, for complete Naya. The one of Strum's expertise in the cyborg is a bit random. Well, I mean, I think sometimes it's just like we put these cards in to remind ourselves that they exist. <laughs> we'll test them at some point. <laughs> we just like them. I have a lot of sideboards like this where it's like, okay, I don't seriously think these are the right cards for any given matchup. I just want to remind myself that I want to try these cards at some point. Do you know the Marsh meme? Like just calling the potato. I just think they're neat. Exactly. <laughs> Marge Simpson. <laughs> exactly. So a couple other brews from our Discord still in Pioneer that actually are both using Gala Greeters trying to tap into this synergy. And they do so in different ways. So the next one is from Lurking Evil. And this one is very, very streamlined. It's four Elvish Mystic, four Llanowar Elves, and three Gilded Goose. So we're really going hard on Mana Dorks. All of those, with the exception of Goose, are Elves. And at the two slot, you'll see that we really get paid off for that in the form of Elvish Warmaster and Dwynen's Elite, as well as four Gala Greeters. Warmaster and Dwynen's Elite trigger off of Elves coming into play, and Ginny Fey is herself an Elf. So if you have a, a Warmaster and you play a Ginny Fey, you can immediately get another another token, which can become a cat or a dog. Immediately get a doggy. Exactly. Now, the top of the curve here is a little bit off-plan if we're thinking of this as an Elves deck. We have four Collected Company, but then we branched out of the Elf Tribe. We were playing four Extraction Specialists and four Heroic Reinforcements, a card that, I mean, I mentioned this in our first brew session, is like, that's a lot of power. You do. Is it so much power that it's worth like splashing into two other colors for it? I'm not totally sure, but I, I like what Lurking Evil is thinking here. I mean, it's, I don't think it's just two completely colors, because the cyber is completely white, and also it's a specialist. Like, I think you need white. Like, I think, on essence, this is a Celestia deck. Yes. The red, though, is where the splash might get a bit too greedy. Well, you have treasures, right? You have Garlic Readers, you have the Gilded Goose, so it's not out of the question. You only need red once, eventually. Yeah, yeah, and it's as a finisher, so it's not it's not like forcing the mana too much. The other concern is that like heroic reinforcements could have been a three drop in your collected company deck. So maybe we just want to choose another powerful three drop creature to make the companies better. I mean, you're still playing thirty one creatures, which is above the twenty seven required. You are, but like you're going to start every game with a yeah. With a mana dork, you want more three drops, I think. Yeah, I agree. I think you want more three drops. I'm, what is a reasonable three drop for this sort of deck? Well, I was going to mention the next build from Camberleaf because it actually solves that question, right? I think Goblin Rappelmaster would be an excellent three drop. Or just Fable. Yeah. So Camberleaf has built a Gruel deck with a lot of elves and Gilded Geese, but then on the three slot, Camberleaf is playing four Rappelmaster, four Fable, four Ginny Fey. Gallic Readers and Prosperous Innkeeper on two, four Asika's Chariot, two Siege Gang Commander, and four Chord of Calling. You need to find those Ginny Fey's. You do. You really need to find them. So I'm not totally sure that Rappelmaster is the right card like maybe a war boss is just better like the way that it interacts with Ginny Fey is slightly more generous i prefer rubble master which is not forced to attack but war boss gives you a haste dog it's so i think i can't i can't really call one better than the other because like in the situations without Ginny Fey, i tend to prefer rubble master as it's a faster clock right it is and with Shinny Fey, I'm not sure which is better. Not being forced, like when you're a lot of the time when you have Shinny Fey plus a Robin Master, you're gonna be on like a parity board. And if your opponent has like anything that can trade favorably with the dogs, it becomes almost a downside if you have the War Master, the War Leader. Hmm. On the contrary, a Robin Master you just get to keep growing your army. It's like having a snoring bridge and zero cards in hand. So between these, I feel like the solution to the three drop problem is somewhere in this. Whether that's Rebel Master, whether that's War Boss. You could try Briarbridge Tracker, maybe. I feel like that's a decent card. 
to work with Ginny Fay. Extraction specialist is kind of interesting call from Lurking Evil here. I'm wondering, maybe, yeah, just take out the heroic reinforcement at four. The thing is, I want to cut the splash. Like I'm saying, yeah, you cannot travel master instead of reinforcements, but the plan is reducing the splash, not adding more to it. I mean, I really like the Nissa voices Zendikar in Miss Cameron's deck, but that's not a company hit. No, but it's a good card to play on turn two with a dork. It is, it really is. And it also works well with dorks, as it allows you to make them bigger. Okay, maybe that's like a better card in that situation. Alright, so those are three Ginny Fey concepts for Pioneer. We'll mention also one modern build. This comes to us from Beaumat Courier, who's Matt Camo. Tell me about this deck, Mort. So, we started a deck pretty reasonably. Pretty modern-like. For Utopia's Pearl, for Armor Elf. And then all of a sudden, we go completely off the handle. <laughs> Four Callies of the Void, two Sylvan Anthem, which is a two-man enchantment, which is your green creatures gets plus one, plus one, and whenever you, a creature enters the battlefield, you scry one. Prosperous Innkeeper as a two-off, four Verdant Command, that squirrel raise the alarm, and three Sprout Swarm. I'm sorry, did you just say Sprout Swarm? I just said Sprout Swarm. Our beautiful, <laughs> beautiful combo plus buyback card. What an annoying synergy that is. Alongside that, we have our three drops, which go from pretty expected, like Shinifei and three Maranisa, into Reist, which is likely better Nisa, into Chalderfang, which makes a lot of sense if you're playing so many squirrels, into a one-off squirrel nest. Yes. <laughs> but more, is this a mono green deck? Yes, yes it is. We're playing 21 lands, all produce green, one Shamishaba, 10 face lands, because of course we have Shinsherbert Cabin in our mono green deck, and four Karn, the great creators, are top end. Because why not play Karn? So I believe this started off as a Sprout Swarm deck. <laughs> right? Like, I don't know why, but Bowman was just like fascinated by Sprout Swarm. It's a card that is so insanely broken in its limited draft environment that it's kind of got legendary status. When you play that in draft or in when you play that in cube, you just feel like king of the world. It's insane. Is that the kind of card that can cross over into Constructed? I don't think so, but I mean, Matt played this a little bit. He went 4-1 and one in the tournament practice room, so <laughs> maybe there's something there. Uh, the four Kalis are also so crazy. I don't understand them. I don't understand what's going on there. Just, why not? That's the biggest reason. Okay. I mean, played on zero, I guess. Like, But I, yeah, I just don't get it. I, I can't justify, like, if you want me to give you a reason, I can't. But <laughs> okay. uh, you're going to be living in. Yeah. I mean, you should put one in, in the car and wishboard, at least. Oh, yeah. going to do that. All right. Well, this is more of a proof of concept than anything else. If you want to dominate the tournament practice room, this is the list for you. And that leaves us with a few different perspectives on Shinifei, mostly in Pioneer. As it seems like most of our of our viewers have actually agreed that it's mostly a pioneer power level card. But maybe there's something we have yet to see in modern. Seeing a Chatterfang really makes me want to go into the game object's sort of insane plan. I played a Chatterfang when I played um, Naya game objects with Collected Company. Chatterfang was actually really good. I, I wish I had played more than one. So I think it's not crazy to play like three or four copies of Chatterfang with Ginny Fey, of course. With Ginny Fey, of course. All right, so that's Ginny Fay. Speaking of following up, I guess the last thing I want to mention is the moderation deck we talked about last week. So, Mord, you were 3-0 when we last saw this deck. Do you have any follow-up thoughts on, like, how do you feel about moderation now? You know damn well how that league finished. <laughs> There's only one person to blame on that. <laughs> yes. Previously on Faithless Brewing, Mord was 3-0 with his moderation brew. <laughs> and all of a sudden, Dan said, you're gonna 5-0. <laughs> so, now that you got cursed and went 3-2, and two, uh, how do you feel about it? <laughs> how do you feel about the build? I think moderation is pretty good. At least it reinstalled my love for Yorion. But the thing is, 
A lot of playing in modern is cantripping through your deck, and those cards really don't work with moderation. And that was, I think, one of the bigger issues, which is to make your deck good when playing in moderation, you need to make your deck worse when you don't have it. So I was thinking about that, right? Because we were talking about whether you should play Omen of the Seas or not. And I was thinking maybe you should. Like, maybe you just need more card draw. So I decided to try your list. I, I changed about 10 cards, but it's substantially the same list. Yeah. Know, I added, like, a Shark Typhoon. I added a couple Chalice of the Void just because. Um, took out some of the good cards because I, they couldn't fit them under my rental limits. Oh, of course. <laughs> um, added the Nimble Obstructionists. I mean, I, ha- I have been loving... I'm playing two Nimble in my Yorion deck, like, in my the one I'm playing in Leaks, which I am, like... I was 12-3, I got an R for one, so 16, and then a 3-2, so I'm, like, 18-7. And I'm playing two Nimble Obstruction Explained deck because I'm sick of losing to Emragul. Oh. Okay. It counters a lot of stuff. It counters Cascade. It does. And it counters Sotawara. I mean, it's a decent effect. So yeah, I haven't minded having the one copy. I, I could see playing two. Yeah. My results so far, I'm three and one in my league. Takes forever to win. I'll just throw that out there. But I do feel like there's a bunch of games where I play moderation and then I don't actually have a follow-up spell. And I feel like I wouldn't mind having a cantrip. Like, I know we talked about how in some scenarios you're just like so flush with spells you couldn't yeah. possibly use them all. But there were several games where I was like short on... Just cheap things to pull ahead. Maybe the answer is just playing, instead of Tristan and Kali, just for Omen of the Seas. In addition to Ice Fangs? Yeah. Like right now in the Asodius version I'm playing, I am playing four Wall of Omens, four Spreading Seas, four Omen of the Seas. Which is the Yorion Dream. But no moderations of that deck. But no moderations in that deck. I mean, I'm playing Spreading Seas on my sideboard, but yeah, I, mean, I almost feel like I have too much Sorcery Speed stuff. Yeah, yeah, I would add Omen of the Seas, not Spreading Seas. Gotcha. I trimmed, like, a little bit too much counter magic in my builds. Like, you do get to a certain point where you don't really want to draw cards, you just want to lock the game up. And a hard counter does that. An extra copy of Moderation does not do that because, you know, you want safety. And there's safety in having a lot of mana and, like, multiple counter spells in hand. Yeah. Yeah, there's nothing I love more than that feeling. Like, I really enjoy long games with Counter Wars. The other day I was playing as Living End, and we didn't cast a single spell until turn 13. Like, he just kept cycling, and I kept... I, I played spells, I played, like, Omens and Bad Cantrips. And all of a sudden, on turn 13, we had, like, a seven-counter spell war over at the ferry. <laughs> My opponent casted during that Counter War two forces of negation, a mystical dispute, and a commandeer. Oh boy. <laughs> Who won? I won via double flusterstorm, one counter spell, and an Arkwise Charm. It was insane. <laughs> yeah, so more hard counters is good. I mean, I appreciated how Teferi can take the moderation away. Yeah. Like I did that a couple times. Um, but yeah, for some reason, I felt like my build was not maximizing moderation. Like maybe I just needed more, more total cheap spells. I'm in love with detecting one of those in your photos. Who wins two curious crafts versus one moderate boy? <laughs> oh, that was against the Grixis Indomitable Creativity deck with hard evidence. I find that so funny for some reason. Yeah. All right, so we posited that there's only one moderation deck. Yeah. And we think it's this Yorian control. I think it's a Yorian control. Maybe it's banned. Maybe it's... Maybe it's a Sorius, but... Most definitely, it's a control shell, more than likely featuring Yorion that's trying to play a long game, and playing some number of false spells in the way of Timeless Dragon, Shark Typhoon, Colossal Sky Turtle, Otawara, and such, to allow you to double spell when necessary. So there's no chance it's like a Taxes deck with Orkan of Amiria and Aether Vial. <laughs> I mean, I haven't tried that, but I'm a coward. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Maybe it is. Maybe the key is just playing either vial. Yeah. All right. So that's our brief look at moderation, an update on Ginny Fey, and of course, trying to make Obnix list do something. Like, come on, do something. Come on. <laughs> You're hitting it with a stick. Please do something. Exactly. <laughs> Please.
we will let you know what we discover in our future editions, of course. And if you have any ideas for Obnixilis, moderation, Genie anything like that, uh, we would love to, to hear from you. So get at us on Twitter. We are at FaithlessMPG, or you can find us uh, anywhere else in our Discord, etc. Exactly. And with that being said, have a nice night, everybody. Hope you have a good day. And if remember, even if things are looking a bit dark, it's all going to be better soon. So, bye-bye! Deck lists for this episode can be viewed at our homepage, faithlessbrewing.com. And tune in next time for an interview with Davius Minimus, the creator of Tameshi Bloom. Support for this podcast is provided by brewers like you. If you like what we do, you can join our community at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing for Discord access, bonus content, and more. That's all for today. Stay safe and we'll see you next time. Oh, it's coming on Halo. I was forsaken. I have been abandoned by Daniel Schreiber and now I'm on my own. Hello, welcome to This Is More.